we have a number of people who are away sick at the moment. I ask you to please commend them to your prayers. We've got a couple of members who are actually in hospital with pneumonia and who have been experiencing um, quite a lot of discomfort lately. And so we just commit everyone into God's hands and ask for him to be taking care of us and taking care of them at this time. But isn't it wonderful that we can share this discipleship journey in that way with our online uh, uh, community? And um, you might be thinking to yourself, why, why are we talking about parables in our discipleship? Can I, can I get some responses from the congregation? Why, why are we talking about parables? Just one word response. Why, why, why are parables good for us to be aware of in our modern day discipleship? Examples. Very good. Yes. Understanding. Thank you. Understanding. Deepening, deeper understanding. Phil, you said something? Teaching. Good, good, good. Yes. So what we see, these are all very good things. Because what we see in the parables are Jesus's didactic. Jesus's method of teaching his disciples. And if we are disciples of Christ, then we need to prepare to sit at the feet of the master. Amen. And this is one of the reasons why it's so important. Parables are not just a Sunday school thing, friends. It's not like we grow out of that understanding and then all of a sudden, oh, these things become really clear and everything. No, 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 no. Parables are the words of Christ. There is deep and significant teaching there that we need for our lives as contemporary Christians. But also, in our discipleship, we have been journeying into this space of how do we share our faith in this modern context? And sometimes, friends, it's really, really important that we go back to the basics. We go back to these things that are so crucially important. As I've shared with you this morning, my family has been sick with the influenza over the last couple of weeks. And it's been serious at times. My youngest son, Samuel, he suffers from uh, uh, seasonal asthma. Why do we call it seasonal asthma? Because the rest of the year he's fine. <laughs> but come winter time, it's a bit hairy. It's very scary. And with the influenza, it really knocked that up a notch. Anyway, we had the puffer there, the Ventolin puffer, and we gave it to him. Now, my, my sister-in-law, my mother's, my wife's sister, sorry, she has been a chronic asthma sufferer her whole life. So my wife, she's very aware of how important it is to get that Ventolin and getting there just at the right time. And how it is almost miraculous. It is amazing when you see a person gasping for breath and struggling and you're fearing for them and they're turning blue in the face and then they have this puffer and all of a sudden they can take a deep breath. Can you do that for me, friends? Can you take a deep breath? Come on, let's see it. It feels good, doesn't it? It feels refreshing, infilling. Well, Sammy couldn't do that. So I took out his puffer. And I ran to him. It was like 3 o'clock in the morning. I was freaking out. And I squeezed it and nothing. Nothing. Oh, my heart was in my throat, friends. As a dad, you know, I had this moment of, Lord, what am I going to do? And my wife, God bless her, she's always prepared. She said, don't worry about it. And she pulled out a brand new one. Here you go. I don't mean to scare you with that story, friends. But I do want to 
bring to you guys this awareness of how sometimes these simple little things can be so important and so crucial in our lives. And if we don't have them, or when we don't have them, and we need them, boom. That is when we develop an appreciation for how important they really were. The parables are like this. And in this asthmatic world that we are living in, a world where we are gasping for the breath of a new season, of a new morality, of a new understanding of who God is at work in this 21st century, we need these parables just like my son needed that inhaler that night. We need to be able to take a deep breath of the teaching, of the understanding, of the goodness of what Christ gave his first disciples and is still relevant for us today. You with me, church? That's why we're going into this season. So yeah, if it takes you back to Sunday school and you remember the flannel graph, sorry, is that right? Flannel, flannel graph? Flannel graph. <laughs> that one. And you remember those figurines and, and, and putting those together, maybe sitting outside in the gardens of the church, um, opening the Bible. Great. Wonderful. Because this is what that old, old school way of understanding God's teaching is. And that is what we're all about right now. So let's dive right on in. Hebrews 1 begins with these words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, or here I would translate, I would translate it more as in these contemporary days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he has appointed heir of all things and through whom also he has made the universe. This doesn't mean that God is no longer speaking through prophets. But what it does mean is that we need to change the way how we think about it. We can no longer go, God only speaks through those people because they are special, because they are anointed, because they are unique. We need to instead understand that when we tap into Christ, Christ speaks through us and to us. So this is a big part of what the author of Hebrews wants for us to understand and comprehend. Because even in their time, and I say they intentionally because we don't know if the author of Hebrews was a man or a woman or, you know what I mean? So they were speaking to an audience that needed to hear this and understand this. What we do know about the author of Hebrews, and this is really crucially important, is he was speaking about a people who were coming out of an Old Testament understanding into a New Testament understanding. Now, I've just revealed to you what the next step in our discipleship actually is. Because in so many respects, the church of Jesus Christ is still living with an Old Testament understanding of God. A distant God. A God that is probably more comfortable in something like an episode of The Simpsons or the pages of a comic in your newspapers. Without a face, unknowing, undescribable. Whereas the New Testament God is known because Jesus said, if you know me, you know the Father. And so this is where we need to understand that we have to change our mindset from that distant, faraway God, high in the sky, in the clouds, in the mountain, 
to a personal God, one that through Christ is there for us and connected with us. This is why the author of Hebrews is saying these things. And this is why it's so important for us today. Because through God's Son, whom He is appointed as heir of all things, He is also making all things and making them new. So why? Why does He say this? Why, why is Jesus uh, instructing in this way? In Matthew 13, verses 10 to 13, we have there, sorry Solomon, can I have my water please? We have there this passage. The disciples come to him and they say, why do you speak to the people in parables? And he replies, because of the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven that has been given to you. But not to them. Whoever has will be given more and they will have in abundance. Whoever does not have even what they have will be taken from them. And this is why I speak to them in parables. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear or understand. All those words that you guys gave me before, they are right here in this passage. Because it is so important for us to know that Jesus was teaching through these images, this imagery. My daughter, uh, she was doing a test recently, and um, she was saying, she was saying to me, "Oh, uh, puppy, what's what's a metaphor? What's a metaphor? I came up with all of these weird explanations, long-winded explanations for what I meant. Oh, yes, darling, a metaphor is when, and uh, and my other daughter turned to her and said, oh, a metaphor is when an idea wears another idea's hat. <laughs> yes." <laughs> And that's a parable. That's a parable. It's, 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 this, it's this simple idea. And, and it's a simple idea that then gets explained with another simple idea. Not to confuse. I must emphasize that. Not to confuse. But so that those whose hearts are disposed to comprehend, understand and receive will capture that idea, will catch it. Do you know what the original meaning of parable means it's this it's to chuck paraballo it's to throw why because i'm casting the idea out there and my hope is that one of you is gonna catch it that's the idea that's the, the concept that jesus is trying to teach and share with his disciples this is why he says, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. Because they've missed it. They didn't catch it. But for those whose hearts are disposed and ready, they catch the idea, they capture it. And then it becomes something deep, meaningful and important. So I'm going to very briefly, very, very quickly run through this parable. For two reasons. The first is that I fear that for many people they read this parable and they misunderstand it. They don't get it. They don't understand all the cultural stuff that's underneath it. The second reason why is because it's so important for us. So important for us to understand. Jesus begins, he describes how a farmer goes out to sow his seed. Now what does a farmer do? Tell me. Farmer farms. 
Right. I spent a lot of time with farmers as a teenager in uh, Victoria, country Victoria. We used to go out there. We, we harvested, yes. We went out with the utes and we, with the columbine harvesters and we, we harvested the, the grain. We, um, we shot kangaroos, that was something that we did. <laughs> we had bonfires, lots of bonfires. And we had church services out on the fields. That's, that's what we did. I never saw a farmer sowing seed. They have machines to do all that work. You see, the point that I'm making here is that farmer loses an element in what we need to comprehend and understand. Because Jesus here is very specifically using the word steiro, a planter, a sower, the one who actually gets his hands into the dirt. Are you with me, church? He doesn't want us to be thinking about the one who harvests the crop. That's a different word. That's a different worker. He didn't want us to think of a farmer. He wanted us to think of someone who goes in there and literally puts their fingers into the soil to make the, the space for the seed to go in. Do you know why? Because that's you. Let those who have ears hear. Because the job of sharing the gospel today is not glamorous. It sometimes feels like digging in the dirt. And when you dig in the dirt, you hit a rock. And it's hard. And it hurts your back. And you get tired. And you get sweaty. But this is something that I really want us to comprehend. Because Jesus said, let those who have ears hear. So let you who are listening, let you who are listening online, understand that he was saying to them, behold, look out. Hey, listen. A sower went... And what was he doing? He was sowing. Again, planting has this other connotation. It is a verb that is outcome based, isn't it? I am planting. I've got this seed in my hand because I will eventually come back and grab the plant. The sower doesn't always grab the plant. Jesus himself said one will sow and another will reap the harvest. Isn't that true of the Christian walk as well? I've been uh, mentoring a young man <clears throat> who has had Christian influence all their life, all his life. And we've had some of the most amazing conversations, life-giving conversations, impacting conversations. You know, you hear teachers say sometimes things like, that person has taught me more than I've taught them. And it sounds pithy. <laughs> And a little bit embarrassing, but I want to tell you, honestly, honestly, this person has taught me more about the love of Christ than I think I've actually imparted upon them. Because in so many ways, the things that I say to them, I go, ooh, that was really wise. That was really interesting. But it wasn't from me. And I, I cannot say that it was something that came from my wisdom, my knowledge or my understanding. It had to have come from God at work in that space. Others had sown the seed in this young man's life. And I am there right now to bless, grow and encourage and yes, cultivate some of the fruit and the plant that has come from them. 
Some of that seed that grew in this young man's life grew in rough and difficult places. Don't get me wrong. But the outcome is not what we're focusing on, is it? We're focusing on the fact that in that moment, the seed that was able to take root and take good ground, good soil, is coming back. And it's translating into blessings for this young man's life. Revolutionizing this young man's life. So that what he's looking forward to is not what was behind. This is why I wanted to emphasize this first part, because we need to understand it is about the sowing, it is about the digging, it is about the planting of the seed, not thinking about the outcome, not thinking about the plant or the fruit that is to come afterwards, but just knowing and having faith that by putting that finger in the soil, God will take charge and do what he needs to do. The next part of it is cautionary. This is very counterintuitive for the way how we share the gospel today. We share the gospel today. We start with the good news, don't we? We start saying, having Jesus in your life is great. It brings peace. It makes you feel good. You get to meet wonderful people. We, we sell the idea. I'm using that word intentionally. And please, I'm not discrediting the methodology, but I'm just saying to you that in our Western mindset, we have a consumer culture. And so we sell the idea of the gospel. We want people to buy the idea of the gospel. But in Jesus' culture, no, that was not the case. Instead, he cautions them. He says to them, look, this is what is going to happen if you are not ready. If your hearts are not ready. And think about all the other parables that you've heard. How many of them start with a cautionary tale? The virgins who were not ready with the oil in their lamps. The laborers who saw the emissaries from a distance and decided to kill them. This is part of their culture. This is part of their way of, of, of unpacking this knowledge. This is part of their way of an idea wearing another idea's hat. Why? Why? Because it's not about having them buy or purchase an idea. Instead, it's about them being aware that there's a pitfall coming ahead and avoiding that. Friends, I think that's so significant for discipleship in the 21st century. As someone who is out there in the community connecting with all kinds, we live in a world that is in pain. We live in a world where evil things happen all the time. I see it all the time. And I don't want to sell the idea of a good God. I want to live it. And I want for other people to see that in my heart and say, wow. Wow, what is that? What is that that you have? Where does that faith, where does that confidence, where is that coming from? Because it's not from me. It's not from who I am. I can promise you that. I'm a third world kid, guys. I lived in the slums of Brazil. I saw pain, poverty, all the dangers of the world firsthand from a young, young age. And I was blessed to come into this country. But you think I got away from that? No. <laughs> I see it even today. My hope comes from the one place, the only place true hope can come from. And that is Christ our Lord. 
So Jesus tells the cautionary tale as he was scattering the seed. Some fell along the path. The birds added up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly and because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came, they were scorched. And then some withered because they had no root. And other seed fell among the thorns which grew up and choked the plants. Friends, if you want to hear an unpacking of what each of those analogies might mean, you can go onto YouTube. There are hundreds of sermons on this topic. And you can look at the different kinds of believers. And you can look at the different kinds of ways that the so- that where the seeds landed on the soil. I tell you, though, these words here are not for you. They're not. They're for us to be aware that, yes, yeah, sometimes we're out there and we're putting our finger in the dirt and we're putting the seed. But this will happen. We just need to accept it and move on. Because the end outcome that God has is a desired outcome. Are you with me, church? God has a desire for you and for me and for our lives. And no, it is not prosperity, good living, good money, and safety forever. No way. What God has as a desired outcome for us is that we are enfolded and brought into His loving arms and His loving embrace through Jesus Christ. That is His ultimate goal for us. And sometimes that has to come through some tribulation, through some difficulty, through some pain. We accept that. We don't believe that God is the one who causes it, but that He will allow it because it refines us and makes us better. Because it helps us come to that understanding of who He really is. Because until we get to that moment, He's still that white-bearded guy up on the cloud far, far away. A distant, disconnected God. And we don't need that. We need God who is with us. The desired outcome for this parable is that the seed fell on good soil. This is the word for you, my friends, where it produced a crop 160 or 30 times what was shown. I love this. It is diminishing, isn't it? Is that how we talk in English? No. We would say it's 30, 60, 100. We would sell the idea. And in Mark, yes, it's 160 and 30. But in Matthew, I think it's very intentionally not. Matthew was a tax collector. Numbers were his thing. And he understood the returns of investment. He understood that there is an ideal, a desired outcome for a return on an investment. But that is not always the case. Yet he understood that even the smallest work of the gospel here could do great big change. Jesus said to Matthew, leave your table and follow me. I want you to just think about that for a moment. Leave your table and follow me. That's what changed Matthew's life. That coupled with the fact that Jesus would even speak to him, that a holy man and a holy teacher would even deign approach a sinner like him. Do you see where I'm coming at, church? It doesn't matter if you're banking on a hundredfold return on your harvest. Because even that small, small change of 30%, 30 times change, 
that is enough for God to say, yes, yes, that is my desired I looked online for lots of photos of harvest fields and I was heartbroken is probably not too hard of a word to use. I found that the vast majority of them were behind a paywall. I found that to get a nice image of a harvest field ready to be harvested, I had to go and buy an image, pay for it. I had to purchase something. And it made me think about how so often we think about the gospel in the same way. That it's pay to play. That somehow we need to purchase something, some kind of knowledge, some kind of wisdom, some kind of eloquence. Because we are not good enough. We are not good enough emissaries to represent what God is doing. And I realized, no. So I went over my records and I found this old image that I had from a long time ago. And I cropped it and I manipulated it and I played with it. I spent much more time on this image than I probably did actually writing down the words of the message. And I put it up there and I thought to myself, no, you know what? It's imperfect. I don't know if you can see, it's blurry. It's slightly pixelated. It's imperfect. But you know what? So are we. We don't have to bring a perfect message because we're not selling anything. We bring who we are. And Christ makes the work alive in us sufficient, suitable, and able. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Jesus is explaining the parable and he finishes with these words. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word. But the words of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding a hundred, sixty or thirty times what was sown. Friends, this is who we need to be. We need to be the ones who are ready to hear ready to receive that word. And it doesn't matter where it's coming from. It doesn't matter how eloquent the preacher, it doesn't matter whether we're finding it in YouTube or in our own revelation of opening scripture. We're about to partake of this meal. This meal which is made of coals, bought juice, bread that admittedly is probably uh, not the freshest and not in the nicest of states. The shops aren't open on a Sunday morning, see? (laughs) But it's still precious, isn't it? It's still special because of what it means to us. Let us be open to understand that work of God in our lives 
And as we prepare to come for communion, I invite you to bow your heads with me as we dedicate this time together to the Lord. Father, prepare our hearts. Let us know and understand what it means to be working and listening to you, to be laborers in your field. Father, we know that we are not perfect, but in you, the work that we bring is worthy. So bless us with an understanding of this, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.